1: Podcast number 27 on the Addiction Connection. I am joined by Aaron Foss, our RN Outreach Coordinator for all of our drug programming and COVID programming and every single thing we do in this world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. We uh, kicked out Grandpa Cletus A.A. Kurt to do this because this is all about being a mom. Kurt, I'm just going to give you a shout out. I'm a sad substitute. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. What's the button? Wah, wah, wah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but ultimately, Eat Sleep Console is an amazing new method to dealing with neonatal abstinence syndrome, NAS, that we've always known about, which has actually now been switched a little bit when you're speaking about opioids to an OWS now is neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome. But yeah, Kurt's not a mom. It's a little different. Pretty sure he's ne- never
0: breastfed a baby. <laughs> Well, we don't know this for (laughs) sure, but one could speculate. (laughs) So we just had an amazing echo done by Dr. Matthew Grossman out of Yale School of Medicine. He's associate professor of PEDS and quality and safety officer. Oh my gosh, this
1: dude. Amazing. He's like one of my new favorite humans.
0: Yep. And he's not that
1: old because his oldest child, I feel like we bonded because his oldest son is like 10 and a half, like my oldest son. And they both were horribly colicky infants. Yeah. That would have probably scored hundreds on the Finnegan had we used the Finnegan on our kids.
0: So I fell in <laughs> love with Dr. Grossman when he made the comment, mom is medicine. And that is so the truth when it we're comes... I wish an amen button. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so that is so the truth when it comes to NAS. And he started out his presentation with a few stats, um... And in his article, he lists these as well. Um, NAS has increased fivefold in the U.S. between 2000 and 2012, and it now affects five per one thousand births natu- nation- <laughs> nationally. <laughs> it's it's
1: just one of those things. I mean, you have to. Obviously, we do a lot, we did opioids for we've been doing them forever as far as treating them. and Now, just addiction in general. But I mean, when you're looking at these. This whole epidemic, if you will, obviously it's going to have downstream effects and, you know, over half of pregnancies to patients who are using opioids are totally unplanned. So, again, most of these, I'm sorry, I'm going off a tangent now, but all these unplanned pregnancies, most of them don't seek prenatal care in a timely manner because they're afraid, there's stigma, there's judgment, So I know we mentioned a couple weeks back when we had our opioid use disorder and pregnancy echo, or excuse me, not echo, podcast. Um, The number one reason you get treatment is to get good prenatal care, but you know, they still can have opioid withdrawal syndrome in babies. And so really, how do you treat them and why? It's just the average length of stay for a baby who has historically had neonatal abstinence syndrome is 21 days in the NICU.
0: Yep. And the eat. Sleep Console has definitely decreased hospitalization times for moms and infants, which is absolutely amazing. Financially makes a lot of sense for hospitals. Um, Not only that, but it's so much better for moms and babies because like we said, mom is medicine. Right. Hugs, not drugs, he says. And that is so (laughs) the truth. I love that.
1: And that means obviously how we're treating the babies. But if you really want the science behind it, so what happens is, you know, the locus ceruleus is impacted by the drug use in mom, whether it's illicit things like heroin, it's prescribed things like Oxy, it's, you know, treatment like methadone or buprenorphine. So basically all these regu- uh, receptors are upregulated to get this homeostasis. So when the babies are born, they're not getting any of that opioid anymore. So they get this Russian norepi and then they have withdrawal that looks very similar to anybody who's experiencing opioid withdrawal syndrome.
0: So what does that look like, Dr.
1: Bell? Some jitters. Jitters, yawning, sneezing, all the the diarrhea, the vomiting, the very irritable, cranky babies. But yeah, it looks like adult, but in babies, and they can't tell you what they're feeling, so it's hard. Um, So historically, we've always used the Finnegan. Historically, I'm not even old enough to know when this was developed. Uh, 1974 <laughs> so this was developed because of this huge heroin epidemic in philly and so they said okay what are we going to do so they put this huge as dr grossman wrote quote exhausted list and quote pretty much every single thing you could think of as far as opioid withdrawal Um, And in 2012, 95 to 98% of hospitalized hospitals use this scoring. So Finnegan is like built into every EMR. It is the, I don't want to say gold standard because I don't love it, but they, they look at things like GI symptoms, respiratory metabolic syndrome, or (laughs) excuse me, respiratory (laughs) metabolic symptoms as well as CNS symptoms. So it looks at all the things, but it kind of lacks a lot of things.
0: Agreed. So one takeaway that I thought was really interesting was the Eat Sleep Console, Um, only 12% of their patients received morphine. Um, and if the Finnegan would have been used, 62% of those babies would have been given morphine. So that just goes to show that the Sleep Console is a much more non-pharmacological approach to treating these babies mm-hmm. like they're actually babies, Dr. Grossman says. <laughs> and treat the moms like they're actually moms.
1: Right? Isn't that just, I don't know, his whole talk, oh my gosh, if you guys could, if you want to see his talk, email and then opioid echo at catholichealth.net and Katie can totally hook you up with the playback of his actual talk. Oh my gosh, you guys, it great, was amazing. Great
0: humor too. Oh,
1: I mean, it's so duh, but you know, he kind of went through the standard approach, these five elements, medications, NICU, Finnegan scoring, medication dosing, staff cares for the baby, no family, like these poor babies are isolated in these little isolates. What do you think's going to happen? And then he went to my favorite thing, this whole think outside the box. Really? Let's think outside the box, which, you know, whatever. Um, So, yeah, this whole morphine thing and how you'd like standardize this. He went through all these studies about, you know, how they went from using diluted tinctures of opium on babies down to methadone versus, you know, barbitone to mom. Wait, what? Like we actually let mom partake in the treatment of the baby.
0: So he did also talk about how the Eat Sleep Console is a collaboration between providers, the caregivers, meaning nurses, and then the parents of the baby. So they all collaborate to make a decision together about how they feel the baby is doing and how the scoring is going to go and what the needs of the baby are, which I thought was so cool. It really involves the parents in the care. Right. And he said this whole first original
1: study with the Finnegan was like 59 words on non-pharmacological approaches to treating NAS, which is what you're supposed to do first, versus 16 pages of how do you handle medications on babies. And so, you know, he discussed his first colicky baby, as I mentioned, and how there was a lot of things. And then when you talk about length of stay and how when you just start looking at, here's a baby. What does the baby need? Baby's hungry. Okay, feed the baby rather than trying to schedule. And I, I'm super type A. In case you all don't know that. And so I was always like, we're gonna put my babies on a schedule. And then you have a baby for five minutes. You're like, nope. Kind of feed the baby when the baby's hungry, which sounds so duh. But when you're looking at a baby in a NICU who could potentially be having withdrawal, you know NICUs because they're managing lots of babies. We're like, nope. We need to feed every three hours. So then these babies look irritable. Well, they're hungry.
0: Yep. So poor eating is kind of one of the key components of the Eat Sleep Console. And you do feed NAS babies on demand. That's part of it. It helps to comfort them, relax them, maybe induce some sleep. Breastfeeding is also huge with these infants because if the mom is receiving medication-assisted treatment, they can get trace Um, amounts of that through the breast milk which maria um she's one of the nurses that works with our program Mm -hmm. is a lactation consultant and coaches so many of the patients on that which is amazing you know and that's a huge part of it breastfeeding also consoles the infant
1: and the mom you get this bonding like (laughs) oh my gosh we're putting a mom and a baby together i i'm gonna back up a little to his talk just specifically because he talked he showed pictures of his actual nicu And how it's so, like, anti-parent. And there were certain times when the parents were allowed to see their babies. Like, that's so archaic to me. He described it to being, like, having an entire room of people with asthma exacerbations without albuterol. Like, the mom is the albuterol. Like... Duh, like this is just so crazy. So, again, the whole first thing was like, okay, let's keep the mom and baby together. um And, you know, we do the eat, sleep, console in our tiny hospital mostly because we're in a critical access hospital that doesn't have a NICU. And I just thought, well, if I'm going to have moms who I have in my Suboxone or buprenorphine treatment program who are now pregnant, dang it, I want to deliver them myself. And how do I do that without having a NICU that are going to put all these babies on morphine? And we just started doing this research, and it was crazy how, if you keep the mom and the baby together, which is actually kind of where everybody is going now, whether you're a buprenorphine mom or not, it's the rooming in, it's the having that hands on care. It's just skin to skin. It just makes sense. Yep. Anyway, can you talk about the sneezing thing? Because that was hilarious.
0: I don't remember a lot oh my of gosh. that. So,
1: you know, Finnegan, they made this random number of eight. So if you get three eights in a row for three consecutive checking a baby, which, by the way, if you're doing a Finnegan scoring on a baby, you have to, like, wake the baby up, which pisses the baby off. But you do this scoring thing. And if a baby sneezes three times, baby's good. But if a baby sneezes that fourth time, here we go, morphine. I mean... Babies sneeze sometimes. I mean, think about it. You're in a bathtub for nine months, and now you're going to sneeze. Well, is it just that you, like, are cleaning out your mucous membranes because you were, you know, in a bathtub for nine months, and now you're not? Or is it because you're in withdrawal? It doesn't make sense. There, And he even mentioned there was, like, literally nothing to where they pick this
0: eight versus seven. Very limited research on the Finnegan. Mm -hmm. Everyone just kind of decided that it worked, so they did it. And then people kept doing it because it's what they always did. So it was an extremely innovative approach that um, Dr. Grossman and his team looked at doing this outside of the box.
1: Right. He said, quote, we want babies to be babies. Duh. Like we said, it was like the greatest talk because it was so duh. Which is so funny because you take something that has been so established for so long And then you step back and you look at it with common sense and you're like, this literally makes no sense. You know, again, the Finnegan, they'd be in the hospital forever because once you gave that first dose of morphine, it wasn't that, okay, we'll just kind of do a PRN. No, once you hit that first dose, you kept giving it. And with this random taper protocol, you would not actually need to look at the baby to know you just look at the score and go based on that, look at the dose, go based on that. So you... You're not even caring for the baby. You're just caring for a number. And then again, you'd wake them up. So you'd piss off a calm baby. I don't know. It just was very, very backwards. So it was all signs of withdrawal, but no actual care was given. So that was the whole, like, let's look at what babies actually need to do, which is where he came up with this whole eat, sleep, console method.
0: So bouncing back to the components of eat sleep console. We talked about the eating, feed on demand, breastfeeding being super important for these kiddos. Sleeping is the baby sleeping 1 hour between feedings. Are they sleeping well? You want to comment on that more. You know, and yeah, so with the whole sleeping thing, is it
1: it's it's kind of with that like sleeping an hour after a feeding. But if it's less than an hour, you can't just say, oh my gosh, this baby slept for 55 minutes. I mean, is the baby fussy? Is it restless? Is it startling? Is it tremors? But if it's in that first day of life and they're not sleeping an hour, could this be nicotine withdrawal? Could this be SSRI withdrawal? Benzo. Could this just be benzo withdrawal? Or could this just be that this baby wants to cluster feed? Like my goodness, how often did you have to breastfeed a baby for five straight hours when you had a normal newborn and that you weren't on any opioids for? It Amen. happens. Amen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, from like 6 until 11 every night. It's like it's dinner time. Sorry, I'm going to just have this baby attached to me for the next five hours. So, I mean, my kids never slept for that straight hour, but it was the cluster feeding thing. So really look at why the baby is enslaving, not brain
0: science. Right. And the last component of the ESC is console. Can the baby be consoled within 10 minutes?
1: Within 10 minutes. Yep, But again, you had to look at the other things that could maybe make the baby not be consoled. Is the baby hungry? Okay, feed the baby. Then don't use, you know, you can't judge consoling if the baby's hungry. Did it have circumcision today? You know, like you're not going to want to eat if you're in pain.
0: So like look at the whole baby before you decide. And then um, using non-pharmacologic interventions such as a soft voice, a low stim environment, um, dimming the lights, limiting visitors while the baby's hospitalized. Um, And then there were also pictures in the article that Dr. Grossman wrote, um, bringing the baby's hands to its mouth, placing a hand gently on the baby's abdomen, swaddling the baby, bringing the baby's arms to the legs, skin to skin. All of those types of things. Just simple things you can do for mean, any baby. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just
1: loved it. There's actually a note I had taken when he was talking about the results of of their study with this whole how much significantly less morphine was given and how much length of stay and, and all these amazing things. And the overall re- results, no readmissions, no seizures, no ICU transfers. But the comment that I just love, it says, just pick up the baby.
0: Yep. Oh my gosh. So Eat Sleep control, Console institutions, um, ten to forty percent of their babies require pharmacologic care. Finnegan institutions, fifty to eighty percent require pharmacological care. So it's just astounding how much of a reduction in meds eat sleep console adopted facilities use. It's very impressive.
1: And the one thing, just since we're talking about that, and then I want to reverse to kind of looking at the moms, but, um, you know, he it's not that no baby in Eat Sleep Console ever gets meds. But the thing about it is, is that it's more the PRN meds. So right. if the baby is not doing all the things with the Eat Sleep Console well, okay, maybe it needs a dose of morphine. But that doesn't mean it's now on this three-week taper that it needs to get scheduled morphine. No, we give it when it needs it, see how it does. It might never need it anymore. It may just need that one dose to help get over that little thing. Um, So I want to back up to how do the moms feel. So I have been treating moms with opioid use disorder now for four and a half years with buprenorphine. And I mean, I have met, you know, well over a hundred patients. So about half of them women. So over 50% of women and, you know, roughly some of them. I've delivered now eight... Nine, eight babies with moms on buprenorphine in the last, you know, three years. And they are so, they're already having their own, you know, they feel badly. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm guilty because my baby is on these meds. Or I'm guilty because I've been using heroin until 28 weeks. Or they already have their own guilt. So you get them into treatment. You focus on their goals. You focus on their health. You reassure them of all these things. But now they're pregnant and they're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing to my baby? They already feel all this pressure. They've let everybody in their world down. They've already felt judged. And now you're having people judging them because their babies might have withdrawal. Like these poor moms. This method, this eat, sleep, console method really empowers, I love that word, empowers the mom to be the medication, just like he had said. Like, you are going to help your baby. That doesn't mean your baby's not gonna have some type of mild withdrawal, But you can treat that baby by holding this baby, by loving your baby, which is all that literally that's what any mom wants to do.
0: Throwing it in even further introverse, watching Dr. Bell in office visits with these moms that are on MAT, teaching them about all the things that are going to happen, potentially could happen. I think also empowers moms because they are educated and they can make educated decisions with their care. And that's super important. They know exactly what to expect. And I feel like that just is a good continuum of care in our organization for the moms and the babies when they're delivered. And it just makes everyone more comfortable. Right. And there's just so much ease in delivery.
1: Well, I think, you know, and that's even what Dr. Grossman talked about was this whole... You know, this is not a, okay, your baby's born, now you gave it drugs, and now it's going to withdraw, now we need to deal with it. No, it's a whole pregnancy process. like Just like any pregnancy, you know, you do breastfeeding counseling throughout pregnancy. You talk about labor, different issues, complications of pregnancy throughout pregnancy. Talk about this. You know, let them know what the signs and symptoms are. Let the moms know what they can do. If they're struggling with social situations or legal situations, help them throughout that pregnancy so they're not blindsided. You know, our goal as providers is not to ever punish a mom, ever punish any patient on buprenorphine or in, in treatment or with opioid use disorders to help them get to their goals. And so if you can have this team supporting these moms and yeah, we're super lucky. Mari is a lactation nurse. We jokingly say that we both do, you know babies and drugs, which is totally not politically correct. But we both do the baby thing. We both do obviously the opioid withdrawal and opioid use disorder thing. But you really want to have that conversation throughout. So they go into that labor and they go into that delivery and they go into that postpartum period, knowing what's going to happen and knowing that you're all there to support them and their baby. Right. Sorry, Tangent.
0: (laughs) So to give you guys the numbers from what we saw from Dr. Grossman's presentation, like Dr. Bell stated earlier, um, mean hospitalizations for babies experiencing NAS was like 22 to 18 days. And then when the ESC was implemented, it dropped to 10 days and then it dropped to seven days and then it dropped to five days Mm -hmm. when this became standard of practice. So it was just better for everybody. And it was just, it be, has become the standard of care, which right. is amazing.
1: So for those of you who do treatment with opioid use disorder, and even patients who are on opioids throughout their pregnancy for pain things, it is really important to be aware of, you know, the the heroines, the oxycodone, the hydrocodone. Those are shorter acting. So you're going to notice some type of withdrawal things within the first 48 hours or so. Um, things like buprenorphine methadone, you're going to want to keep those babies 72 to 96 hours is when you're going to notice that withdrawal. And so the actual protocol is do you, you do the eat sleep control thing? While you're doing other care. So don't disturb a sleeping baby. Don't wake the bear. Leave the baby sleeping and do it when you're doing other things. Cluster your care. Right? <laughs> Duh. Um, they do recommend starting within four to six hours of birth just because, you know, if it's a short-acting opioid. Um, but do be aware of other medications like the SSRIs, the nic- uh, the nicotine, the things that would cause early withdrawal. Um, and then focus kind of on that two- to five-day window for the longer-acting buprenorphines, methadones. They say minimum of 48 hours, but anywhere between the four and the seven days. Anecdotally, my eight babies. Our length of stay in our hospital is like four and a half days. One of our babies had to ship out premature, but none of our eight babies has needed meds yet. So cool. Anything else
0: you want to cover?
1: I don't think so. I think just to summarize again, like Erin mentioned, hugs before drugs, empowering families. Non-pharmacologic care should be the first 500 pages of this treatment and drugs for like a page um, as needed meds. Mom is the antibiotic. I love this. Pretend it is a baby. Right. Treat the mom like a mom. Amen. Right? And so anyway, I just, it, again, if you guys want to watch this dude talk, this Dr. Gross dude talk, I feel like that was rude. But, um, you know, the protocol we've been using that we kind of, found on a whim that we send out to all the communities that we train. We realized after the fact that it was actually his protocol and his article. Um, if you want this article, you want to learn more, please email us at the Minnesota opioid echo at CatholicHealthNet, And we would love to share this with you. We have handouts that we give moms during pregnancy handles that we've done with nurses, lots of education things, you know, again, it's, it's about having the healthy moms, healthy babies, and all the things that all of us want with our kids um, whether you're an opioid use disorder patient or not because really it's all the same you're just a mom and you're just having a baby <laughs> thoughts Aaron
0: well said <laughs>
1: <laughs> boy I'm glad it was you and I hurt for this one Let's talk about <laughs> breastfeeding grandpa no <laughs> alright with that battle legs <laughs> let you take over thank you all very much